Sam Gillingham loses her mother at a young age, and then her father falls overboard while chartering a yacht and drowns. But it's what she finds out after her father drowned that's so shocking and so unexpected. I don't want to spoil this one for you because it's got some twists and turns. This is Twisted Travel and True Crime, and I'm your host, Sandy. Welcome aboard. I do record on a small 36-foot sailboat. It's often impossible to have complete silence to record, so you might now and then hear the waves against the boat or the sounds of our rigging, or you might even hear one of my four kids in the background, even though I record while they sleep. Clearly, it's never silent aboard, so please bear with me. Today's story takes place in Britain, which I talked a little bit about in the last episode, but here's a little fact I didn't cover. There's an ancient rule in England that you can't eat swan meat unless you're a member of the royal family. However, there is an elite group of people who are allowed to taste it once a year on June 25th. The fellows of St. John's Cambridge College are free to satisfy their curiosity. One scholar who tasted it didn't have a high opinion of it though, so maybe we're not missing out on much. Another thing you might not know is that the British were great sailors and many islands all over the world were discovered or claimed by the British. The sailors traveled all over using just the sun and stars to tell which direction they were going. The sailors in today's story weren't nearly so skilled. Sam Gillingham, formerly known as Sam Pacman, is the daughter of Russell and Carol Pacman. She had an interesting life as a child and a challenging one as an adult. Her father, Russell, was an engineer for the aviation industry. His wife, Carol, dutifully followed him from place to place while raising their daughter, Sam. Carol had left school at 15, and later she and Russell met while working at a factory. Carol fell head over heels in love with Russell, and even though her parents didn't like him at all, they ended up getting married. It's reported that there were lots of arguments caused by Russell, and this was just one of many reasons they didn't like him. Another reason was that Carol's mother found out Russell had a previous conviction for grievous bodily harm. When she confronted Russell about it, he decided that Carol would no longer have contact with her parents. She must have felt like she had to follow along with his directives because Carol didn't speak with her family for several years. But one day she calls her mother out of the blue and tells her a terrible story. Let me give you a heads up. There's going to be some animal cruelty. So if you don't want to hear about it, please fast forward just for maybe a minute. Carol told her mother that she and Russell had brought an Alsatian puppy home. She loved this puppy dearly and took on most of its care. A short time later, while they had both been at work, Russell decided to stop by their house. When he went inside, he saw that the puppy had done something. Maybe it was that the dog had peed on the floor, or perhaps it had chewed something up. It wasn't made clear exactly what the issue had been, but Russell decided that the answer to the problem was to kick the puppy to death. What a savage move done by an absolute knuckle-dragger. Her mother begged Carol to leave Russell, but she never did. When their daughter Sam was born, there was bound to be some mixed emotions from Carol's family. Would Russell treat a child better than he had the puppy? From the outside, it seemed that Sam had a typical young girl's life, possibly even a bit privileged. She had a loving and doting mother. Her father had a pretty lucrative job. Sam loved spending time with her parents because her parents moved around quite a bit due to her father's job.
She got to see more of the world than most people. She finally remembers skiing with her father. She loved swimming with her mom. They gave an appearance of wealth, comfort, and happiness. There was always a nice car in the driveway, and Russell wore an expensive watch. They appeared to be a happy, tight-knit family. As Sam got a little older, she began to realize that her parents didn't have the perfect relationship or lifestyle that they liked to portray to the world. Her mother was very quiet. She spent a lot of time inside her head and was a confirmed introvert. Sam's father was the opposite. He liked to be the life of the party. He was kindly described as gregarious, outgoing, and strong-willed. He was not so kindly described as controlling and manipulative. He strong-armed Carol and would constantly berate her. When it came to Sam, he was a strict and harsh disciplinarian. Frankly, my description is worse, but more apt. He was abusive. He would send her to her room for days at a time. Food would be brought to her, but no one would be allowed to speak to her. He would spank her with a wooden spoon or coat hangers. When Sam was a teenager, she began to realize things weren't quite as they seemed financially either. Her parents had accumulated quite a bit of debt. Russell had recently started a business and essentially worked out of his home. He had also hired an assistant to help get the business off the ground. He and his assistant spent long days at the kitchen table working together. They spent late nights strategizing, all while Carol fed them and cared for them. It was her way of contributing. Like many new businesses, money was being spent before it was being made, and it was going fast. In order to save money, Russell convinced Carol that they should let his assistant move in. Her name was Patricia. Patricia Causey. She would move out of her flat, and she would give them money in exchange for letting her stay in their home. And if needed, she would help take care of Sam. Carol reluctantly agreed to the arrangement, and Sam was okay with it too, even though she felt she was a little too old for a babysitter. Sam said for the first few months, things were weirdly normal. She shared her room with the household's newest member, Patricia. Sam did describe Patricia as almost like a nanny for her, but as time marched on, she noticed that Patricia would sometimes sneak out of her bedroom late at night. It wasn't long before 14-year-old Sam put two and two together. She came to realize that Patricia was having an affair with her father in her own house, in her mother's house, right under their noses. Patricia was the exact opposite of Carol in terms of personality. She was louder, more outgoing, and confident. In time, Sam built up her courage enough to bring the affair up to her mother. When she confronted her mom, she learned that her mom had already known that her father was having the affair and that it wasn't the first one he had had either. Sam began putting together all the pieces. She saw that her mother was falling apart. Her mother hadn't been very accommodating to Patricia in the first place, but Russell had insisted, and when Russell wanted something, Russell got it. He was being incredibly disrespectful of their marriage, and his new girlfriend was just as bad. Carol had tried to hide the affair and her feelings from Sam, but Sam was no fool and saw clearly that her mom was struggling as Russell and Patricia seemed to flaunt their relationship in front of her. The tension in the home was at an all-time high. 
Carol's mental stability may have been at an all-time low. Sam felt the strain between her parents and lashed out at the person who loved her the most, her mother. Carol was already under so much stress. Now Sam was pushing her away too. Sam was hurting her feelings and this meant that everyone in the house was being horrible to Carol. She was bearing the strain of everyone dismissing her feelings. No one seemed to care about how badly she was hurting and of course her pain was the deepest. She had metaphorically been pushed over the edge of an emotional cliff by her husband and now as she tried to climb back up she was getting stones thrown at her from her husband, her husband's lover, and her own daughter. Reflecting on this time in her life, Sam explained that after she told her mother about the affair between Russell and Patricia, Carol, in time, confronted Russell with the information and the fact that Sam knew what was going on, too. Russell was away at the time. Perhaps Carol thought the conversation would go better over the phone, but later that night, Russell came into Sam's room. He physically beat her, bending her over his knee and smacking her repeatedly with a leather moccasin. Then he threw her to the floor, injuring her arm. Sam was crying and screaming. She had never been so scared in her life. The next day, after the attack on Sam, Carol decided that she had enough and she was done with Russell. She met with a solicitor, or a lawyer as I would call it. She then told Russell that she was leaving him. The very next day, a note was found laying on a table and on top of it was Carol's wedding ring. The note said, I've had enough. I've decided to leave and I won't be coming back. When Sam saw the note, she remembers running up the stairs as quickly as she could to check in her parents' room. Her father looked on. She realized that her mother had left all her belongings and her father noticed as well. He said confidently, she'll be back. Russell and Sam went to the police and reported Carol missing. Russell told the story of the note and the ring being left behind. Police assumed it was a domestic dispute, and because Carol was an adult, she could make her own choices. They told Sam and Russell that there really wasn't anything they could do to help the Causey family or to bring Carol home. One day went by, then another, then a week, and then a month, and nothing. Not a peep from Carol. Sam was worried and missed her mother. She begged her dad to help find her mom, but he said there was nothing he could do, and she would come home when she felt like it. A little bit of relief came a few months later, right around Christmas time. The family was told by officers that Carol had heard she had been reported missing. She went to the local police station and declared herself safe and well. She then asked police to tell her family not to reach out to her. She didn't want to hear from them. She didn't want to have any future communication with them at all. Sam, as you would expect, was confused and hurt. She probably felt like her mother's leaving was her fault. We all know that's not true. She became angry and disrespectful. Sam and her father's relationship became punctuated with episodes of violence, arguing, and bullying. Sam even had to spend time in a children's home. At some point, Russell said to Sam, I don't think I want you in the house anymore. This was a tipping point for Sam. She went upstairs and grabbed a bag full of her things and her money and she left. Patricia, the so-called live-in, nanny, mistress, adulterer, asked her to stay and reconsider her actions. She said, oh Sam, please don't leave like your mother did. 
Her father stood by watching on. His only words were, you'll be back. Sam replied to her father, you chase mom away and now you're chasing me away. And if she, pointing at Patricia, gets smart, one day she'll leave you too and then you'll grow old all alone. Sam didn't talk to her father for months. She had slept under a pier and was homeless for quite some time, but she was smart and tough. She survived on her own. Two years passed before she called her father, asking about whether he had heard from her mother. Russell responded that yes, she's fine, but she still doesn't want to talk to you or me. She wants to be left alone. When friends and family asked about Carol, he told them that she left him. In fact, he said... She left him, driving away with a man in a red car, and went to Canada. Over the next nine years, Sam and Russell's relationship grew more and more distant. Sam focused her time on building a life with her future husband and her new son, Neil. Russell focused on his relationship with Patricia. He even took on her last name, changing his name to Russell Causey. They lived in a nice house and spent a lot of money on themselves, Dinner, vacations, lots of nice things. Everyone was moving on, moving forward. But then, in 1993, Sam receives an unexpected and shocking phone call from the police. They said to her, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but your father is missing at sea and is presumed dead. Russell and Patricia had chartered a yacht. They wanted a nice vacation together, and a sailing trip fit their ideas. It was a fairly common thing to do, and they were not alone. They took with them their solicitor. They were close friends, so this wasn't unusual either. The official report was that Russell had somehow gone overboard in the middle of the night. The solicitor, Anthony Hackett Jones, had been the one to make the mayday call. When the authorities were notified, an investigator was quickly assigned the task of finding Russell. He said that typically when someone goes overboard, you need a location, a time, and then you need to work with the wind and tides in the area in order to best estimate where the person or body might end up being. The British equivalent of the U.S. Coast Guard sent boats to search the area that they thought Russell or his body might be. These boats included government vessels, local boaters, fishermen, and air search patrols as well. Distressingly, the searchers couldn't find any trace of Russell. After days of searching, the next step was to reach out to the next of kin, which was Sam. This was when she found out that her father was now dead and that she was left parentless. Obviously, Sam was in shock, and the first thing she thought of was her mother. She knew they had to find her mother and tell her what happened. It had been almost nine years since Carol had been seen by anyone or heard from by anyone, except Russell, who was now dead. The inspector then began to search. He first followed her passport to see if it had been used anywhere. It hadn't. He then searched for Carol's medical record to see if there was any trace of her visiting physicians, but that didn't work either. She was apparently as healthy as a horse. He then began looking for her all over the world, mainly in places she had worked or visited, but to no avail. He thought it was very strange that a wife and a mother would just leave and never ever make contact with any of her family, the immediate or extended version, ever again. The press got a hold of the story, and they ran with it. They told the story of a man that was missing, presumed drowned, 
and that the police were attempting to find his wife or his widow, but all they found was his girlfriend, Patricia. When the press interviewed her, the collective opinion was that her demeanor was not one of a grieving widow who had lost someone near and dear to their heart. Press said that Patricia didn't behave normally. She also led them to believe a lie. The press assumed that she was his wife. They had to do a little digging to find out that Patricia wasn't actually married to Russell. She never mentioned Carol or the fact that she hadn't been heard from in years. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. There was something strange going on. The press and police recognized that Russell's girlfriend and even his solicitor were acting suspiciously. They both kept contacting the police, asking them to wrap up the case quickly. The inspector, even with this undue pressure, wanted to be thorough. He told the two of them it could take months before a body washed up. He also felt something wasn't right, but he couldn't put his finger on it. Maybe Russell had been pushed off the boat. Maybe he was murdered by Patricia and Antony. Or maybe he was in on his own disappearance. Either way, he decided to let the insurance companies know that he wanted to be alerted as to whether any claims had been put in on Russell. It took no time at all to find out that a claim had indeed been placed and that Patricia and the solicitor, Antony, were trying to collect on it. The insurance policy was for about 800,000 pounds. Keep in mind, this was in the mid-90s, so now that would be worth about 1.7 million pounds. Clearly, this amount of money would take care of any problems that Patricia or Antony were running into financially. Something very fishy was going on. The investigator went on to search ferry schedules around the time that Russell went missing. He was able to determine that a ferry ride had been booked by a Mr. Russell on the night that the yacht left Guernsey. I mean, really, couldn't they have come up with something better? Mr. Russell? Where's the creativity in that? By this time, Russell had been presumed dead for four months. The detective decided that he would interview Patricia once again. When he went to visit with her, she presented herself again as Russell's wife. The detective now knew this wasn't the case. He asked Patricia if she knew where Carol might be, and Patricia's rather cold response was, Sergeant, I don't think you'll ever find Carol. This set off alarm bells in the detective's mind. He decided he would have Patricia followed for a while. And sure enough, Russell and Patricia were caught having lunch together. He was alive and well. They were promptly arrested along with their friend and solicitor, Antony. Patricia quickly pleaded guilty to fraud and she was given a suspended sentence because she gave evidence against the other two. 
Russell and Antony pleaded not guilty at first, but Antony quickly changed his plea to guilty. After a speedy trial, Russell got two years in prison, and Antony got three because he pled guilty and because of the fact that he was a solicitor. When Russell was arrested, Carol's family realized that something was terribly wrong here. Even with a detective looking for her, Carol still hadn't been found. If Russell was capable of committing fraud, maybe he was capable of doing something worse, like possibly killing Carol. Friends and family felt the hair standing up on the back of their necks. They began to discuss everything they knew about Carol, and they collectively realized that everything they knew came from Russell. Not only that, but a lot of the stories he had told them didn't match up. For example, he told investigators that he had spoken to Carol and that she'd gone to Canada. He told others she left with a rich German friend. When investigators explored a little more, asking how she reached out to him, Russell told them that it was through a phone call and a letter he had received in the early 90s. They asked for this letter, and he said, Oh no, I burned it. Convenient, isn't it? In the same interview, investigators turned to Patricia to ask her questions, but Russell immediately cut them off, telling them she had nothing to say about it. This made the investigators fume. They said, we will determine that, and continued to try to interview her. Russell became more belligerent at this point. Police searched high and low, and after a year of looking for Carol with nothing to show for it, they began to realize that they were probably looking for a body, and that Carol had been murdered. Sam began to realize that Russell had been lying about everything to do with the fraud and everything to do with Carol. Police and family searched in and around Russell's house. They searched in storm drains and wooded areas near their home. Information came in that he may have buried her in a cemetery, so a cemetery nearby was searched. The investigation intensified further when they tracked her last confirmed sighting to her solicitor's office. The detectives also reviewed Carol's apparent visit to the police station ten years earlier. It revealed that the officer taking her details had failed to carry out basic identity checks. The waters muddied even further when a paper trail led them to Canada, where Carol appeared to have been working for a short time in the aviation industry in Montreal. But it was figured out that it had not been her. It was actually Patricia who had been using Carol's work permit. Police went on to find forgeries on land registry documents. These forgeries allowed Russell Cosley to sell the jointly owned house. It seemed as if all the actions Russell had taken suggested that he was guilty of her murder. No one else had a motive or an opportunity to kill her. There was no body, so all police had was circumstantial evidence. The case had to be strong enough to convict him, otherwise they were just spinning their wheels. Investigators took statements from all the witnesses they could find. This included all the family, the neighbors, and friends. They put together timelines. They checked and double-checked all their facts. What they found out was that Russell was incredibly inconsistent with his stories. Things were not looking good for him. He was sitting in jail, filling his term for fraud, and this was when a jailhouse informant came forward to tell investigators that he had conversations with Russell where he admitted what he had done to his wife. The informant described how Russell hit his wife with an axe and disposed of her body in acid. Investigators say they don't actually believe this story, but they do believe Russell killed Carol. 
Either way, police were finally able to arrest him for suspicion of murder. They brought him in to be interviewed. They also interviewed Patricia again, but she gave them no new information. The police had to drop the case against her because she had nothing to add and couldn't shed light on what happened to Carol. In February of 1996, Russell was charged with murder. The investigators really didn't have much. They had no body and no real evidence, proving the case would be next to impossible. Russell kept denying that he had anything to do with Carol's disappearance or the alleged murder. Without a body, it would be extremely difficult to convict. A body holds so much information and so much potential evidence. It often tells some kind of story about how the person died. Nevertheless, the investigators moved forward. They wanted him convicted. The trial lasted three and a half weeks. The case basically leaned on prisoner's statements because there was little to no evidence other than Russell's lies. Even so, the jury came back after only two hours with the conviction of murder. Russell's reaction was that his legs gave out from underneath him and disbelief was written all over his face. Sam's friends and family were ecstatic he was found guilty. Russell had finally been brought to justice. He was sentenced to life with a minimum of 16 years. Now Sam had to realize and face the fact that her mother was dead and that her father killed her mother. As we would all expect, Russell began the appeal process right away. He based his appeal on the fact they had to use convicted criminals to prosecute the case against him. A second trial was granted. It was during this trial that it was brought forward by prosecutors that a novel had been found. Russell needed something to do while in jail, and he had written this book. Prosecutors claimed it was about Russell's grandson, Neil. They believed it showed Russell's nature. The novel depicted Neil as a blue-eyed, blonde boy who was abducted and murdered by a pedophile ring. Neil says that it was extremely dark and he couldn't stop worrying about it, but mostly he worried about his mother's safety if Russell was released. I'm honestly surprised that this testimony, the novel testimony, was allowed. It seems pretty presumptuous, but more damning claims were made by Russell's own sister. She came forward to tell authorities that she heard her brother admit his crime, that he said he killed Carol. Russell was intelligent, but he believed at some point his marriage was beyond saving. Most people would go get a lawyer and get a divorce, but Russell decided no, he didn't want a divorce, he wanted it all. He wanted the house, his mistress, all his belongings, and the easiest way to do that would be to get rid of his wife. He'd kill her and hide her body, and he wouldn't get caught. Well, he was wrong, and he was caught, and once again found guilty. This is the only time in Britain's history that this has ever happened. Justice was served, but the one person that can end all of Carol's family's questions and bring closure to them is keeping quiet. Sam is still hoping to find her mother's body. She's hoping her father will eventually admit to what he's done and help her be able to say goodbye to her mother. She feels her father has essentially been torturing her for years by not revealing the location of Carol's body. In August of 2014, Russell was first up for parole. He has never acknowledged the harm that he caused to the family and to Carol's family. Sam stated to the parole board that she believes he is a danger to society. She also believes that justice has not been served. 
She has no closure because she is repeatedly having to relive the incidents that led up to Carol's disappearance and murder. She said if Russell is released from prison, he will think that he is actually the winner. Despite his years in jail, he will have come out ahead. She regrets to this day believing her father's lies so easily. She struggles every day with the loss of her mother. She talks to her mother and apologizes for not being able to do more. It breaks my heart that she feels she needs to apologize, as if she were the one who let her mother down. I'm certain that Carol would be proud of who Sam has become, and of her grandson, Neil, who has always been there for his mother, through all the trials and tribulations that Sam's had to face. All because of her father's greed, selfishness, and lack of morals. When Russell Cosley applied for parole in September of 2020, the board was reminded that a new witness came forward, saying that he had seen Russell burying something in a rug, and he believed that it was Carol's body. He said that seeing pictures of Russell Cosley in the newspaper made this memory come back to him. This man said he is 100% sure that he saw Russell as he bicycled past the site as a teenager. As he rode by staring, Russell gave him a stern look and said, My dog died. I'm burning my dog. This man had led police to the spot, but police determined that the dig was not justified at the time. Even with this information, Russell Cosley was released. Yes, as of right now, Russell, in his late 70s, is a free man. You know if I hear any updates to this case, I will certainly fill you in. Sam, Neal, and the rest of Carol's family are determined to keep at the police and keep the investigation rolling. They believe he's guilty, and they are determined to find her body. I hope from the bottom of my heart that they are successful. Thank you so much for listening. I'd like to thank a couple of special listeners today for their kind words and encouragement. The first is Joy M. She says, I'm absolutely addicted to this podcast. I've shared it with all of my friends. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Joy. I'd also like to thank two of my school classmates who reached out. Brandy D. says, I love, love, love your podcast. Keep them coming. I drive a lot for my job, and this keeps me thoroughly entertained. Great job. And then Christy K. says, I agree. I listened while I grocery shop and dinner prep, and she loves the cases too. Thank you both very much for your kind words and encouragement. It means so much to me as podcasting can feel very one-sided sometimes. If you'd like to reach out, please feel free to do so. You can reach me through Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, or through email at twistedtravelandtruecrime at gmail.com. If you like what you heard today, please give us a five-star rating and a nice review. It really makes a difference and draws more people to the podcast. If you really like what you heard, or you've been listening for a long time, and you've just been thinking about donating... You can do so through a one-time donation or a monthly donation. Links to be able to do those things are in the episode description. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and here's wishing you fair winds and following seas.